At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. Guys, let's continue in worship of the Lord as we open the scriptures this morning. And we are uh, quite ironically in light of uh, this situation in the book of Genesis. Uh, the beginning, the beginning of life, the beginning of the story of humanity, where we learn so much about human dignity, the beauty of humanity, but also <laughs> the uh, embarrassingly broken state of humanity, as we're going to see here, uh, in, especially in our story today. Um, <clears throat> a lot of us, when we think of the book of Genesis, we think of creation, we think of Adam and Eve, maybe you think of the flood. But all of that is really loaded on the front end of the book of Genesis. And the biggest part, by far, uh, is Genesis chapters 12 through 50, which tells the story of Abraham and his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, uh, whose story we're especially going to get into today, Jacob. So in Genesis chapter 12, you remember, God calls Abram to leave his home country to go to the promised land there on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And he, he gives Abram promises. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you many descendants. You're going to be a great nation. And through me blessing you, I'm going to bless the world. He gives them these great promises that are really the foundation for God unfolding the story of salvation throughout the rest of Scripture. So we looked at Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 12, and Abram's relationship with his wife, Sarah, and the brokenness there. And then last week, Glenn led us in the word in the story of Abraham getting a wife for his son, Isaac. Um, Isaac, God called to have a wife from Abram's home country. He was not to take a wife from that native area on the east coast of the Mediterranean, a place known as Canaan. Instead, they were to go back to Abram's home country, get a wife from there, and then come back. And that is who Abram's servant found, Rebekah. And so Rebekah married Isaac. Well, we now pick up the story um, in which the promises are being passed from Abram to Isaac and now to Jacob. So Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 23, is where we especially see that Isaac is to pass along the promises to his son Jacob, not Esau. So when Rebekah got pregnant, she was pregnant with twins, Jacob and Esau, but the promises are to be passed to Jacob, not Esau, as we're going to see. So this is Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 23, for us to just see this in the text. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord for Rebekah his wife because she was barren. But the Lord granted Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children, so there's two of them in there. The children struggled within Rebekah. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happen happening to me? If I'm pregnant, why is this struggle taking place within me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb. 
and two peoples from within you shall be divided, and the one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So this was God's way of saying, Jacob is going to inherit the promises, not Esau. The older one, Esau, who came out of the womb first, is going to serve the younger one, Jacob, who came out of the one second. And this is contrary to the way it normally goes. It's normally the firstborn son who inherits the promises. But we a little later find out why God would have wanted to give the promises to Jacob. Um, At least one of the things we see at the end of Genesis chapter 26, verses 34 through 35, it says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Be'eri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Esau took Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau takes a wife, not from Abram's home country, he takes a wife from the land of Canaan, from the native peoples that were around them. So he's already signifying why God would not have allowed him to inherit the promises and instead Jacob, because he's married two women, deviating from God's plan, and uh, they were not from Abram's home country. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah, not surprisingly often happens when you marry the wrong person. So let's read the story of what unfolds after that. This is Genesis chapter 27, verses 20, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 27, verse 1, through Genesis chapter 28, verse 5. It's a long kind of sprawling story, but I think it's important for us to see the brokenness that spins out of uh, everything that takes place. So Genesis chapter 27, verse 1, verses 28 through uh, verse 5. This is God's word for us. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, Isaac called Esau, his older son, and Isaac said to Esau, my son. And Esau answered him, here I am. Isaac said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out into the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring the food to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you, not Jacob, before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring the food to your father to eat, so that he may bless you, not Esau, before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Rebekah said to Jacob, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, And go bring the food to me. So Jacob went and took the food and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on Jacob's hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So Jacob went into his father, Isaac, and said, My father, 
And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that my soul, that you may bless my soul. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Jacob answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went to his, uh, near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and he said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And Isaac did not recognize Jacob because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so Isaac blessed Jacob. He said, are you really my son Esau? Jacob answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat my son's game and bless you. So Jacob brought the food near to Isaac and Isaac ate. And he brought him wine and Isaac drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed Jacob, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, and then he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. And cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought the food to his father. And Esau said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to Esau, Who are you? Esau answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it that hunted the game and brought it to me? And I ate before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me even also, O my father. But Isaac said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, he, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Esau said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made Jacob lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, O father? Bless me, even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword shall you live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So Rebekah sent and called Jacob, her younger son. 
And Rebekah said to Jacob, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with Laban a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you, both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This year, for the first time since 1992, a Disney song made it to the top of the Billboard charts. 30 years ago, Aladdin's A Whole New World reached the top of the charts. <laughs> And this year, the number one song in America was We Don't Talk About Bruno. This song, which many of us have heard again and again and again, it is from the Disney film Encanto. It's a very catchy and upbeat song. However, the lyrics of the song are actually quite disheartening. And sad, really. The lyrics explore how the Madrigal family, the Madrigals are the central characters of the movie, the lyrics explore how the Madrigal family tiptoe around discussing the broken relationship between Bruno and the rest of the family. So it's really a song about family dysfunction. It's a song about how unpleasant family secrets are often left ignored and undiscussed. But even though it's sort of a downer song, as far as the lyrics go, this, this song really struck a chord with our culture, taking it all the way, as I said, to number one on the charts. And I think a part of the reason why the song is so popular is because all of us can relate with what the song explores. Every family experiences some sort of dysfunction. Some families have a very high level of dysfunction. Others, it may be lower. But if you have a family, some part or maybe many parts are dysfunctional. And oftentimes, it's those dysfunctional parts that are the least discussed. It might not be Bruno, but it might be we don't talk about dad's drinking. We don't talk about grandma's racism. We don't talk about mom and dad's previous marriages and divorces. We don't talk about fill in the blank. Too often, family dysfunction is ignored 
overlooked or simply left unaddressed. And because of this, many of us are left on our own to figure out how to navigate the challenges of our family's dysfunction. And very often, the reality of our family's dysfunction plays a significant role in shaping our understanding and interaction with God. And if we aren't sure how God relates to our family dysfunction, we can struggle to trust him in the ways that we should. Thankfully, however, when it comes to family's dysfunction, the book of Genesis, there is not a we don't talk about Bruno policy. Instead, as we see in our passage today, family dysfunction is front and center. And the reason why God's word is honest about the story of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau's family is because the author knows that God's grace prevails over family dysfunction. You see, if we are certain that God's grace can redeem and transform our family's dysfunction, then we can be inspired to be honest about our family's dysfunction. If God's grace is bigger than the drinking, if God's grace is bigger than the racism, bigger than the divorces, well, then we can be honest about these things because God's grace can redeem, transform, and bring healing to all of them. But first, for us to see how God overcomes the dysfunction of this family, it's good for us to identify what might have led this family to be so dysfunctional in the first place. And as we dig into the story, what we find out is that disobedience to God's word is what leads to family dysfunction. Disobedience leads to family dysfunction. So as I mentioned earlier, God set apart Jacob to be the inheritor of God's promises and purposes that were first given to his grandfather Abraham. In Genesis 25, Isaac hears from God, as we said, the older is going to serve the younger. And of the two twins, Esau came out before Jacob. Esau was the oldest, and Jacob was the youngest. So contrary to the traditions of that time, it was not going to be the firstborn. It was not going to be the oldest son who would be the head of the family and the inheritor of the promises. And as we said, it seemed like God was wise in making Jacob the inheritor of the blessings because Esau takes wives from outside of Abraham's ancestral people. He marries foreign wives, which in that culture assumed that he adopted their foreign gods as well. So what will Isaac do? Will he listen to and obey God's word and make Jacob the inheritor of God's promises and purposes? Or will he keep with the traditional, culturally acceptable practice of making the older son, the firstborn, the primary inheritor? Well, as we read, Jacob does the latter. He says at the beginning of chapter 27 that he knows he is nearing death, and so he calls to himself Esau, and he's going to bless Esau. This means that he's passing the mantle of carrying forward God's promises and purposes to Esau rather than Jacob, even though God had said to do just the opposite. And this step of disobedience sets off this long, tragic story 
of bitterness, deceit, rage, and even division. In other words, family dysfunction. You heard how the story went. Rebecca overhears that Isaac is going to bless Esau, so she tricks and deceives Isaac into blessing Jacob. This then enrages Esau, who becomes murderously angry, and so Jacob has to leave town a long way away for a long time. These two brothers are divided because the wife deceived her husband because the husband disobeyed God. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke commenting on these verses says this. He says, quote, This family is not working together, but conspiring against one another because Isaac, the patriarch, offers no spiritual leadership. Instead of leading his family according to God's will and God's ways, Isaac does what he wants to. And he disobeys God, leading to all of this dysfunction. Earlier this year, I led our staff team to read through the book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, a book by an author named Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And one of the chapters of the book offers the opportunity for readers to fill out what's called a genogram. A genogram is a diagram where you look back over the last several generations of your family to seek to identify trends and patterns that might impact your own life. And it was a challenging exercise because it highlighted some of the dysfunction in my own life and my own family of origin. So this was not an easy or necessarily pleasant process to think about and face these things. But in doing so, I realized something significant, namely that our past affects our present. The choices of disobedience in previous generations were still impacting my life and my family now. And even worse, I was continuing those same patterns. I couldn't look back and just blame previous generations because I too had to face my own sinfulness. But engaging in this exercise, a genogram, it helped me to see that the root of dysfunction that exists in my family came back to the same problem as in Isaac's family millennia ago. Disobedience to God's word. God's word is meant to lead us into flourishing and life. And yet we believe the lie that we can live by our own word. We can live by our own ways. And we turn from God's word and his ways, and this is what causes dysfunction. Adam and Eve turned from God's word, which caused dysfunction in their family. Isaac sought to turn from God's word, which caused dysfunction in his family. And when you or I, or our grandparents or our great-grandparents, when we turn from God's word, it causes dysfunction and distress in our families and lives. The stuff that later on we don't want to talk about. But hope emerges as we recognize how God works through all of this family dysfunction. The next several verses show how family dysfunction can often highlight the incredible grace of God. Yes, disobedience leads to family dysfunction, but God's grace shines through family dysfunction. So as we've said, 
This painful story starts to unravel over this really long chapter, the longest chapter I think I've ever read on a Sunday morning, when disobedience leads to deception, leads to division. But God shows up in the middle of this and he works through this whole situation. So Isaac and Rebekah now know that they must send their son Jacob away because one, Esau has sworn to kill him and two, he needs to go back to their home country anyway to find a wife, just like Abraham sent his servant, as we saw last week, back to his home country to find Rebekah for Isaac. And the first few verses of chapter 28 describe this whole scene. This is chapter 28, verses one through five. It says, then Isaac called the Jacob and he blessed Jacob and he directed Jacob, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you. God Almighty make you fruitful and multiply you so that you may become a company of peoples. May God give the blessing of Abraham to you, Isaac, and to, your, to you, Jacob, and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away. So what's significant about this blessing is that it repeats language from God's original command to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1. And this blessing also includes language from God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Through this blessing, we see Jacob as the true heir and recipient of God's covenantal promises and blessings. So what the author of Genesis wants to draw to our attention is that even amid the dysfunction of this family, God's purposes and plan still prevails. God's covenant promises continue through the younger son, Jacob. God had said that the younger son, Jacob, would be the one to carry forth the blessing. And despite their disobedience, despite their dysfunction, God's word holds true. God's word and purpose moves forward. So this is an act of sheer grace from God. This family, including Jacob, does nothing to deserve the covenantal blessings of Abraham to continue to the next generation. They deserve just the opposite. They either seek to disobey God's word or they seek to acquire God's gift through all the wrong means, like Abraham taking Hagar. And yet, despite their failures, God displays his grace by continuing his plans and purposes despite their fallen, broken, dysfunctional family. At this moment in the book of Genesis, we are to realize that the reason the author brings their dysfunction to the front and center is only to highlight the greatness of God's grace and blessing. Another Old Testament scholar, Gordon Winham, commenting on these verses, he says this, quote, By setting this new step forward in the history of salvation in the context of such unprincipled behavior by every member of the family, each self-centeredly seeking his or her own interest, the narrator is not simply pointing out the fallibility of God's chosen family, whose virtues often turn into vices, but the author of the book of Genesis is reasserting 
the grace of God. It is his mercy that is the ultimate ground of our salvation. As I said, the author of Genesis brings their dysfunction front and center in this story in order to highlight the greatness of God's grace and blessing. God does not try to hide or suppress or refuse to talk about the dysfunction. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace?, author Philip Yancey recounts growing up in a church that, quote, tended toward perfectionism. And he says that this tendency toward perfectionism led many people in his church to misrepresent themselves spiritually. So, for example, he says, quote, on Sundays, well-scrubbed families emerged from their cars with smiles on their faces, even though, as we would later find out, they had been fighting abusively all week long, for example. However, as Yancey would later discover the reality of God's grace, he realized that it was through being honest. It's through being real about our faults and dysfunction that God's grace can actually be seen and experienced. He says, quote, As a child, I put on my best behavior on Sunday mornings, dressing up for God and for the other Christians around me. And it never occurred to me that church was a place to be honest. Now, though, as I seek to look at the world through the lens of grace, I realize that imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. Light only gets through the cracks. So, friend, do you struggle with the brokenness in your family? Often when we experience family dysfunction, we tend to hide it and hide from it. Many of us grow up with the message that we don't talk about family brokenness, and we certainly don't talk about family brokenness with other people outside of the family to get help or to be honest. So we often suppress discussion around these areas, areas of our family that are ugly, Areas of our family that are dysfunctional remain hidden. And yet, here's the truth it is our brokenness and dysfunction that the grace of God wants to meet us. God doesn't just work despite our family dysfunction, instead, He works through it. It is our brokenness that makes God's grace visible. So, Are there things you don't talk about in your family? Like Bruno? Like dad's drinking? Like grandma's racism? Like the divorces? Like fill in the blank? Well, maybe it's time to embrace a path of honesty and to begin to talk. Maybe first to God, to your spouse, to your children, to a trusted friend, to a trusted counselor, even just a small step toward honesty about our family dysfunction can have a tremendously powerful, positive effect. And this story, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Esau, the fact that this story is in God's word, it's an invitation for us to be honest about the dysfunction in the story of our own family. 
Guys, if God can be honest about the brokenness and dysfunction in his chosen family, then we can be honest about the brokenness and dysfunction in our own. One Bible teacher I know, after preaching all the way through the book of Genesis, all 50 chapters, he made this comment. That there is a Jerry Jerry Springer level of family dysfunction in the book of Genesis. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, that whole situation, they would have been on Springer. Jacob and his four baby mamas, and that whole situation with Laban, they would have easily qualified for Springer. And man, Genesis chapter 38, with Judah and Tamar and the prostitute, they would have been on Springer for sure. I mean, it is literally who's the real daddy drama story. I'm telling you, you read all the way through Genesis and you're going to start screaming, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Because these people are broken. And their families are broken. And so are we. And so are our families. The question is, will we accept God's invitation to own our brokenness? To share our story of dysfunction, to step into the light and to be honest about what's really going on in our hearts and in our homes. Genesis is God's invitation for us to get honest. And the reason God is happy for us to be honest about the brokenness among Abraham's descendants is because he knows despite their brokenness, his plan and his purposes are unstoppable. That plan is carried forward through the book of Genesis and is carried forward all the way until the coming of Jesus, the true son of Abraham, the true seed of Jacob, the one who lived and died and rose from the grave, proving forever God's unstoppable faithfulness despite our many failures. Church, Let's step into the light. Let's be honest about our sins. Let's be honest about the sins of our fathers. And let's embrace the grace of the cross. Let's embrace the grace of Christian community. And let's find healing for our brokenness. Healing for our family dysfunction. I pray it would be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, the family of God, brothers and sisters in the Lord. We confess to you, God, that we are broken. We are embarrassingly dysfunctional. We are tragically tragically broken and our families at home are as well God to think about this I'm sure brings up a lot of pain for many of us to think about addiction to think about abuse to think about neglect 
to think about estranged relationships, to think about fighting, to think about violence in our own homes. It's incredibly humbling and sad. But God, we thank you that you meet us right there. And you say, here's my family. Here's Abraham with all his junk. Here's Isaac with all his junk. Here's Jacob with all his junk. Right on display, right in the light. So Father, I pray that for each one of us, we would step into the light as well. We would come to the foot of the cross where endless grace flows over our many failures. Heal us, Lord. May the power of the gospel in this moment, in this season, be a milestone where a generational change, a new trajectory happens so that generations from now, they'll look back and they'll see brokenness, but they'll also see your mercy at work, us becoming more faithful, more obedient as you change us from one degree of glory to the next. God, do this powerful thing for the glory of your name. Change the generations to come by your work in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.